Welcome to the BWI Daily Edition. Happy holidays. I'm T. Frank. Earlier this week, you heard me talk about what I've seen from the Utah Utes on film heading into the 2023 Rose Bowl. But now we're going to talk to somebody who lives and breathes the team, who covers the team, Josh Newman of the Salt Lake Tribune. He's going to join us to fill in all the details and all the things I missed. That's coming up on the BWI Daily Edition. Welcome to the BWI Daily. Josh Newman of the Salt Lake Tribune with us. Josh, how are the mountains today? It's uh, it's still early afternoon your time, right? It is. It is uh, 2 o'clock, about 2.05. It is It's a gloomy kind of wintry mix, rainy day, but I'm like, I'm looking out my window here and get the Wasatch Mountains and they're snow covered. And uh, this time of year, you know, it's quite beautiful out here for sure. Uh, so gr- growing up in Appalachia and having family that lives in Utah, we call these mountains out here, and I don't want to disrespect the Appalachian Mountains, but there's nothing like being in Salt Lake Valley and seeing all of them all around you. Uh, if you're ever out in the area, go check them out and uh, stop in and say hi to Josh, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's it. That's it. Uh, so this story, let's get into some of the stuff with Utah, because I'm very interested in this team. Um, the story of the Utah Utes seems firmly intertwined with the narrative around USC. Is that an oversimplification of their season with two big games that they were able to win? Uh, that is an over, oversimplification, but look, I mean, that's what happened. I mean, you know, they opened the season ranked number seven in the AP poll, and they had a lot coming back from last year's Rose Bowl team, and there were a lot of expectations, right? You had this very high-profile opener at the University of Florida, and that's not really – that's generally not what Utah does to open a season. You know, they're pretty happy to stay at home for, you know, for three games and – you know, and beat up on a group of five and an FCS team. But, you know, that was the biggest opener in the history of Utah football, right? Going out to the swamp, you know, they lose a crusher uh, where Cam Rising gets picked off in the end zone as the clock is expiring. But, you know, they got themselves together and, you know, they, you know, they had a nice season. They lose to UCLA on October 8th. And then they go into the first USC game the next week. You know, it was essentially a must win because if you don't win that game, you're probably not going to the Pac-12 championship game. And, you know, they're down by two scores on three different occasions in the first half. Uh, They played markedly better in the second half. Um, You know, Cam Rising engineers this, like, championship-level drive at the end, right? They punch it in on fourth and goal at the one. Rising runs in the two-point conversion, and they upset USC. And the trajectory, which was, you know, kind of going like that, goes back up. And, you know, they lose to Oregon late in the season rising was bad, right? He throws three interceptions. And then, you know, the last week, of the regular season after the Oregon loss, you needed to beat Colorado and you needed all kinds of help. They needed like three different PAC 12 results to go their way. And it all worked out, right? They beat Colorado. They get what they need. They get back to the PAC 12 championship game. They're down again against USC by two scores and rising was tremendous in the second half, right? He's been playing hurt with a knee injury for, probably the last six weeks, but he was terrific. You know, he throws for over 300 yards, uh, three touchdown passes. They completely overwhelmed Caleb Williams in the Mm -hmm. second half. And, you know, again, uh, ups and downs, peaks and valleys, but you beat USC twice. That's the bottom line. You know, those are the two games, you know, that you had to have. You got them both and they're going back to the Rose Bowl. I would love to get into the power dynamic of the Pac-12 and all of those things. Unfortunately, we don't have time today because the USC-Utah thing is quietly one of the most interesting budding rivalries in, in college football. But you, you mentioned Cam Rising and his injury. 
how much do you think that affected him in those games where, uh, you know, after, and could you explain uh, the, the story behind opting not to play in a game when I think he was medically cleared, but at the last minute he didn't, he didn't play. So the first USC game on October 15th was a very physical game, right? A lot of guys on both sides of the ball got, you know, got beat up very physical game up front. And so that was October 15th. And then two days later, right. They're on a buy after that, the two days later, rising meets the media and he's got a he's got a sleeve like a protective sleeve on his left knee and you know i noticed it but i didn't really think anything of it but like it in the back of my mind you know felt like that was a thing you know go through the bye week they play at washington state on a thursday night and rising comes out for pregame warm-ups and i don't remember if he was wearing a sleeve or a protective brace at that point at washington state but he, he, had, he had something on his knee but you know, nobody had heard anything. You know, I talked to sources as, as reporters do during the week. Nobody said anything about rising. And he went through the full warmups, right? The early stuff goes back to the locker room, comes back in full pads, helmet, goes through warmups, no problem. Washington State kicks off to Utah. And Bryson Barnes, the number two kid, trots out with the first team offense. Surprise. Beat writers are in the press box at Washington State, like, did anybody know about this? And like, even the most sourced people on this beat did not know about this. So, you know, long story short, uh, it's not that he wasn't, well, was cleared, wasn't cleared, whatever. The bottom line is he, he didn't feel physically able to go out there and, and, and do what he normally does. And there was enough trust in Barnes. And, you know, if you know the name Bryson Barnes, he was the kid who came in last year for rising against Ohio state in the fourth quarter of the Rose bowl and almost led them to victory. You know, Barnes was, you know, he was solid. He, you know, he didn't blow anybody away, but he was certainly good enough to win a game that night to that was, you know, we talked about the two USC games, but the fact that rising sat against Washington state and Bryson Barnes came in and, and won a game, that was really the season saver. The fact mm -hmm. that he came in. So, so rising, misses that game and he's been playing ever since, but you could tell he's been wearing a sleeve. He's been wearing a brace. The mobility has not really been there, okay? They were comfortable calling – or, excuse me, they were comfortable with him running the ball between 8 and 12 times a game, whether it be by design or on scrambles. But what's been happening for the last six weeks now is they are not calling design keepers for rising. They are right. to keep him in the pocket. They are trying to keep him upright uh, as little risk as possible. Now, the emergence or the reemergence of a running game – of a good running game. You know, the, the running back room ha has been a bit of a circus all year. Yeah. Tell me about that. Cause there are four players with 66 carries or more plus rising and a couple of other guys that have gotten uh carries. So what is, is it a platoon backfield or have they been searching for a guy? So, you know, you had Tavion Thomas who rushed for 1100 yards and 21 touchdowns last year came back, but there was some internal stuff. He was dealing with some personal issues. There was a death in the family, it was kind of musical chairs with Tavion Thomas until finally uh, he left the program and you're mixing, you're matching, you know, uh, Jalen Glover, who, who's a promising true freshman. He's been hurt. Um, and uh, Mikhail Bernard, who is their most versatile, you know, capable pass catching running back. He's been hurt. Uh, Jaquindon Jackson, what is a converted quarterback? Um, you know, they've, you know, they've put it, him in there for reps. He's played really well. So rising has been hurt. He's been playing well enough, but the fact that the running back room has kind of reemerged here, 
post Tavion Thomas with him leaving. Jaquindon Jackson has, has been playing well. The fact that Jackson has been playing well has taken some pressure off of rising. That's really the point I'm trying to make. So with, with Jaquindon Jackson, he's super intriguing. Tall, big, athletic. <clears throat> Seems like he has game-breaking speed. Is that fair to say? Is he the, the guy that has kind of the, the full package as a runner? I think so. So very early in his high school career, he was a running back, right? At Duncanville High School, which is a Texas large school power for, you know, for years and years. And his final three years of high school, he was he was a, a, a true like dual threat four star kid uh, wound up at Texas, uh, didn't work out of Texas, comes here. Um, and he just it wasn't happening for him at quarterback. Right. He loses the he loses the QB two competition in the summer to Barnes. And he was kind of stuck at QB three. And then again, the stuff with Tavion Thomas and Jalen Glover and, and Makai Bernard, they needed some depth. Okay, so in late September, they go to Jaquindon Jackson and they say, hey, hey, would you be up for playing running back, right? You know, we need some depth. And he was smart enough to realize, you know, they left it up to him. And he was smart enough to realize that he's not getting on the field at quarterback. He wants to play. He's got right. the running back experience. So he so he gets on board. And, it, you know, it's been up and down, up and down. But his last two games, he's been, been really good, man. Like back-to-back 100-yard games. Had a 59-yard touchdown run late in the Pac-12 championship game that kind of sealed it. So, you know, you alluded to it. Jackson is this intriguing, big-bodied running back. And one of the key off-season storylines here is what is, you know, what are they going to do with him? Like, do they move him back to quarterback? Do they let him play running back? I mean, my take, you know, being around there every day covering the program, I think his future is at, is at running back. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's openings there especially if rising opts to return for a sixth year next fall, that means you're really not going to see any time at quarterback. So, you know, if, if he's thinking rationally, which this kid generally does, his future appears to be a running back. So what do you, what sort of threshold tier play style, where do you place Cam Rising? Cause you say plays bad in some games and, and it threw three interceptions in one game, but also, can look like a, a transformative player for this offense. So what, what do you, how do you quantify Cam rising for Utah? Well, let me just clarify one thing. The, the game at Oregon where he threw three picks, that was like the first really horrid game of his career. He's been very okay. good for two seasons, really does not make a ton of mistakes, is a good decision maker. Um, you might look at him, you might look at the raw numbers, and you might think game manager. I hate the term game manager because that term indicates that you're not a good quarterback. Right. And that's not the case with rising. Rising is an excellent quarterback. He is not a true, a true dual threat per se, but he can tuck it and go and he can get something done with his legs. Um, to your point about sometimes he looks like a transformative player. I think that's exactly what rising has been for Utah. Like Utah is not exactly quarterback. You, um, right you know, through the years going back to like the Urban Meyer days in 2003, 2004, Utah has had a lot of, again, game manager quarterbacks. And you can handpick some guys that were more than that. Like Alex Smith was more than that. Uh, Tyler Huntley was more than just a game manager. And Rising is more than a game manager. Rising has been a transformative player in the sense that for years and years, forever and ever, Utah's offense has been predicated upon win in the trenches, Yep. control the clock, run the ball, but rising has a, an arm and he can spread it around. And you are seeing, you know, Andy Ludwig, the offensive coordinator and Kyle Whittingham, the head coach kind of, kind of 
move along with the times here, right? You know, the right. college football has turned into more of a vertical, four wide, pass it north south. And Utah has been willing to do more of that with rising at the wheel. So, and I, I, I should say on the show, mm-hmm. I, I talked about Utah on Monday and I had not gone through fully like all these, all of the depth of film on Cam Rising. And I compared him to Penn State quarterback Sean Clifford and, and watching over the last couple of days. He's better than that. He, he's, he's much yeah. more than that. But there are, there are some games where I was wondering, and that's why I want to know about the injury. It seemed like that did affect him in that Oregon game where some of the throws were behind, maybe a little bit low. Absolutely. And, and that seemed like that had an effect on him. Um, but you kind of answered my other question of Kyle Whittingham, traditionally defensive coach, conservative previously. Is this, is, is it really rising that has allowed him to be more aggressive and kind of trust the offense more? I think so. I think so. Because, you know, you have a veteran capable quarterback uh, who's, you know, quote, you know, been to war, so to speak. Right. He, uh, he played at a very high level in in high school um, in Central California. He was an Oklahoma commit for, you know, for a hot minute, uh, wound up at Texas for a year, didn't work out, shows up here. And he had, you know, he's got the moxie and the arm and the capabilities um, and the athleticism. Again, his you you look at rising like not in pads and he doesn't look like a physical specimen. Yeah. And maybe he's not, but he plays like one and he's tough to bring down and he can extend plays and he can do it with his legs and he can scramble and, you know, he can do, he can do all of the things that guys before him have not. Again, you, if you take Alex Smith and Tyler Huntley out of the equation, rising is doing everything that previous Utah quarterbacks throughout the two thousands through most of the 2010s, he's doing all the things that Utah fans were clamoring and begging their quarterback to do. This is what rising has done. And look, in fairness, He's had two legitimate pass-catching tight ends, NFL-level tight ends, in Brant Keithy and Dalton Kincaid. Mm-hmm. Brant Keithy has been out since late September, and Rising has continued to play well. Uh, Dalton Kincaid was pretty banged up through October, right? He was hurt yeah. in the Washington State game. He missed one. He got hurt again in Colorado. He was very limited against USC. So without Keithy and with Kincaid very limited – Rising was still making it happen with the exception of the Oregon game. So, mm. you know, to have the tight ends, that's been a huge benefit, but it, it's, it's not just the tight ends. Like it, it, it it's this kid. He, he's been transformative. I think that's the perfect word for it. Uh, we spent 15 minutes talking about the quarterback, which is probably the, the best place to go, but this, this team, a lot of their personality is built on the run game and the defense, even with rising. So quickly, I want to get through the offensive line. I mistakenly called Braden Daniels a sophomore the other day. He's been there since 2018. That's definitely not a sophomore. But this is a young offensive line overall, right? They have some some guys that are that are pretty young and growing. Am, am, I, am I wrong about that? No, 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 no. You're absolutely okay. right. It was a veteran offensive line last year. You graduated some guys, guys left for the NFL. Braden Daniels is a veteran guy, as you said, been there since 2018. But remember, Braden Daniels is a first-time left tackle. Okay, mm-hmm. he he went from right tackle to left tackle. He's protecting Rising's blind side for the for the first time. So you've got Daniels, uh, Keaton Bills at left guard. He's a veteran guy. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, Paul Miley is a is a first-year starter at center. Played some last year behind Nick Ford, who 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 went to the NFL. Um, uh, Michael Mokofisi, excuse me, Michael Mokofisi at right guard. 
a kid that they were very, very high on for a year or two, played well in spurts last year, has played pretty well getting starter reps for the first time uh, this fall. And then uh, say Tawa Laumea is an all pack 12 kid at right tackle. So it's a youthful offensive line from the standpoint of not from like class perspective, right? Mm-hmm. Sophomore, junior, senior. It's a young offensive line from the standpoint of some of these guys just have not had the opportunity to play significant reps because they had other really good players in front of them. So, you know, Jim Harding, the offensive line coach has done a tremendous job, you know, with this particular group. And just like every year, right. There's some injuries, guys are banged up, you're mixing, you're matching, but that's why you have depth, right? They like their depth up to, you know, number eight, number nine, you know, the offensive line has been very, very solid, especially the last four or five weeks. You mentioned Lamea. He jumps off the film. I thought he was like 6'6", 340, watching the way he run blocks. Not that big. No. So the aside from him, who are the guys that Penn State fans should know about in terms of, okay, we know Utah's a tough physical team. They like to fight in the trenches. Who are the guys that you would highlight as those 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 run-blocking extraordinaires? I think it's Miley. You know, he doesn't he doesn't really pop off the film either, but he's been he's been solid. Like he's not he's not blowing anybody away. He's probably a little undersized, but that's a kid that like, you know, the crux of Utah's football recruiting is you're trying to find the three-star kids or even the no-star kids that have kind of like gone by the wayside. And you're obviously football recruiting, right? You're trying to project what a kid might be down the road. And they looked at Paul Miley as this kid could be something. But again, you were behind Nick Ford for a couple of years. Nick Ford was a, you know, a very versatile uh, interior three linemen. I think he played at, at, at some point he played all five positions during his college career. So, you know, it was going to be hard to break through from Miley, but again, now with his first opportunity at starting reps, I think he, I think he's done a good job with the opportunity. Uh, let's shift over to the defensive side in our last couple minutes. Gabriel Connor O'Toole, I, I find them fascinating. Didn't start for most of the season. They do for roughly maybe the final month of the season, three games, What's the story there, and and what sort of impact have they had on the front four, especially? Yeah, so Van Fillinger, uh, sophomore kid, local from here in, in Utah. Um, Van Fillinger, Fillinger was their or is their only true like ferocious edge rusher, and he was lost for the season midway to an injury. So you had Fillinger out, uh, Jonah Ellis. You know there are other very fine defensive end. Uh, he's, he's not out for the season, but he's been dealing with something long-term. And again, Mm -hmm. this is why you build depth. So Fillinger out, Jonah Ellis out for an extended period. Um, it's been Connor O'Toole who, uh, converted tight end, you know, a kid who they, a kid who they thought had the size and the frame to, you know, to shift over to the defensive side of the ball. He's, he's had a, you know, an optimistic season. Uh, Mickey Sugar Taranga is another kid again. Uh, had to wait behind some guys. Um, you know, they've built him up into a player. And then, yeah, Gabe Reed spent, you know, four or five years at Stanford as this kind of like hybrid linebacker defensive end, a guy who can come off the edge. And he's been a tremendous get for them out of the portal. Gabe Reed, I don't think off the top of my head, I don't think he was all Pac-12, but he, you know, a good like change of pace guy. Again, you can line him up in 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 multiple spots, whether it be in the middle of your linebacker group or on the edge, they like to bring him through the A-gap on blitzes. So, yeah, you know, Gabe Reed is sort of the, uh, you know, one of the unsung heroes of this defense to me. Clark Phillips the third opting out of the game. 
Utah's been putting a lot of defensive backs in the NFL for years now. How do you think they replace him? And I'm, I'm super interested in, uh, not just as the starting corner, but he plays in the slot a lot. Um, so that is going to affect their sub packages as well. Who, who's been playing kind of in his shadow for the better part of this year? Who do you think replaces him? Yeah, so he's spent most of his time on the outside. I, I think he's probably gotten, I don't know, 15, 20% of his game reps in the slot. So what we're looking at for the Rose Bowl is you have uh, Zamaya Vaughn on on one side. Um, another kind of young kid uh, started to emerge last uh, late last season before he was injured. He's kind of emerged this season as probably, probably a long-term starter at cornerback at, as long as he hangs around. Uh, so it's Vaughn and it's uh, JT Broughton who – JT Broughton's had kind of this interesting career, right? He was all Pac-12 during the, you know, COVID-shortened five-game season in 2020. Started off real strong last year, but then was lost for the season in game two to a shoulder injury. Uh, came back this season. I don't think JT Broughton has had the season that we all thought he was going to have. You know, Vaughn, again, kind of emerged as, as this guy, you know, long wingspan, fast, athletic, can be very disruptive. But now Broughton is is going to be forced back in there with Clark Phillips having opted out. So, we're, you know, we'll see what he can, you know, we'll see what he can bring. Like Broughton's very best uh, is certainly good enough. So it's Broughton, it's Vaughn. And then in the times where they're not going 4-2-5 and they're employing a nickel, uh, Sione Vaki is a hell of a freshman. Um, you know, I don't know what was expected of him exactly, but it's, he's certainly – exceeded most expectations just a you know as you said right like utah keeps producing and producing and producing these nfl level safeties who are physical and want to hit and sione vaki is like looking already again his career is obviously like 13 games old sione vaki is looking like this next stud utah safety that you know in two three even four years if he hangs around we're going to be talking about sione vaki as like the next nfl guy out of that defensive backfield so last couple of minutes, uh, what stands out to you about Penn State? W what have you seen from them or what have you learned about them that you find interesting? You know, I, uh, I'm i from the Northeast. I covered Rutgers for a number of years. So I, I, I am somewhat familiar with some of these older guys. I don't think Sean Clifford is, correct me if I'm wrong, I, I don't think Sean Clifford is this like prolific passer who's going to like light up Utah's defense. I, I just don't see that happening. But mm -hmm. um, uh, Penn State is sort of, sort of like Utah in the sense that they want to run the ball. They want to establish the physicality and win up front uh, and control the clock. Um, I don't know. Like the more I look at it, like objectively, I think Utah's personnel is a little bit better than Penn state's personnel, but I don't think Utah's going to walk in there and, and punch him in the mouth. I, I, I think that's, that feels like a, a pretty even matchup up front in spite of what I'm saying, like believing that Utah's personnel is better, it's it still strikes me as a, a pretty even match up front. How do you think the game will go? Uh, I've been saying I think this is going to be a, for some of the reasons you just said, I think it's going to be a defensive battle. How do you think this game will go? I do agree with you. I, I, I think it's going to have uh, some pretty, you know, defensive elements, you know, in there. But Utah, I don't know, like Utah has generally found ways to score. They're averaging over 40 points a game. Um Penn State's defense is probably one of the better defenses Utah will see. Uh, Rising does not have either of his two tight ends, uh, Keithy, uh, excuse me, Brand Keithy and Dalton Kincaid. Uh, Thomas Yasmin, his third tight end, has played pretty well here down the stretch. Um, 
I'm not expecting, you know, we're sitting here on December 27th. I'm not expecting any more opt-outs beyond Clark Phillips. Um, I like Utah, you know, I, you know, close game. Uh, somebody might break 30. Uh, I, I, I published a, a prediction. I forget exactly what I said. I think I said, I don't even remember. I think I said Utah 31, Penn State 27, like somewhere in there. I think it's going to be a close game. Yeah, we have we have similar scores uh, coming out of this game. Low 30s, high 20s. I think yeah. that that's probably spot on. Josh Newman, Salt Lake Tribune with us here on the BWI Daily Edition. I know you got to get going. Busy week for everyone because there's travel involved as well. So stay safe and uh, happy new year. Hope you get out there safe and you enjoy the game. Appreciate you having me on. Thank you. That'll do it today for the BWI Daily Edition. We will have Nate and Fitz coming up tomorrow, so stay tuned. We'll talk to you then.